1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I'll read in your hearing from the New Living Translation. And it reads thus, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't have love, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possess all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and either sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't have love, if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no records of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown language and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when full understanding comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly as in a cloudy mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. So in this family month, I was asked to share in this, the second service, and the theme is, on the theme, what's love got to do with it? In the next couple of days, it will be Valentine's Day, and everybody everywhere will, will be seeing red and seeing flowers and buying gifts and maybe, you know, sharing chocolate and all these kinds of things. But really, do we have an understanding of what love is? Does the world understand what love is? What love got to do with it? It's a pleasure for me to share in this service, especially because my mother is also here with us, and I'm happy to be sharing in this service. Today, I want our children, if they're here, if they're still here, to do me a favor, to listen for two words. They begin with the letter S. The sermon today can be summarized by these two words, and they begin with the letter S. S. What letter did I say? That's right. The first half of the sermon, you will, I will give you the word, and the second half, I will give you the second word. And what I want you to do is, if you're drawing the sermon today, when I give you the first word, you to draw whatever comes to your mind when I say that word, or whatever comes to your mind when I say the second word. But the word that we're talking about begins with the letter. Very good. Shall we bow our heads as we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to share in the service today. As always, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, you are our strength, and you remain everything to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
What, are, what is the condition of our marriages and families today? What's the state of marriages? What are the main issues affecting our families and marriages today? This sermon is not going to be done by me. You're going to help me. So we have some persons with some mics in the audience, and I'm going to ask you, what are some of the issues affecting marriages and families today? Do you know any? Raise your hand and they'll, they'll, just, they'll just shout it out. A single word, not a sentence. What are the issues facing families today? There's one. Money, dishonesty. One word, please. I hear one up here say communication. Another one. Infidelity. Another one over the back there, Sibriana. Shout it out argument. if you can't hear you. I said argument. There's another one, yes? Yes, there's a hand here. Derek. Say it again. Deceitfulness, yes? Someone said arguing. Arguing. Give me another one from the audience. From the finances. Give me another one. Huh? Unfaithfulness. Give me one more, Derek. Anybody else? Sex. What? Sex. Sex. Okay. <laughs> so, so there's one here again. There's one as a hand up here. No trust. Okay, it's good. I did some checking myself before coming, and I went on marriage.com, and it says that the experts say that some of the issues affecting marriages or families today are infidelity. You heard some of them. So you guys are experts. Sexual differences, traumatic situations, stress boredom and jealousy. I went to another site, Family Share, and it said the five main issues affecting marriages and families today, and the first one, in-laws. <laughs> I thought it was funny, huh? In-laws, financial decisions, trading traditions, so, so traditions that you may have had in your own, child rearing, career decisions. And I went on another site to see what are the top issues affecting families today, and I, I found 12 of them, and it says, Overstepping boundaries, lack of communication, Fritz, you're on it. Lack of sexual intimacy, that's right. Wandering um, focuses, so you, you start losing focus. Here's one I didn't hear before, technological in inferences. So technology starting to weave its way into the families. And then you have changing future ambitions. So most of what you're saying is absolutely right. Our families are going through and our marriages are going through quite a lot today. Family life can be hard. Don't let anybody fool you. It is as if those who know you the most can actually hurt you the most. They know what buttons to push. They know what weaknesses you have. They can embarrass you in ways that most other people can because guess what? They know you. And so family life can be hard. It can be a challenge. I want today to show you some images of what a family life that is gone on the rocks could look like, of what a marriage could look like. And it is the story of Captain Caleb Holt, and his, he's a firefighter in Georgia. He keeps a simple rule when he's on the job, and his rule is you never leave your partner behind, especially in a fire. But Caleb in his home is altogether a different person. He's now married for seven years. We're going to look into his life. And he's on, his family and his marriage is on the verge of implosion. Let's look at what this marriage on the rocks looks like. And I want at the end of your looking at this family to tell the person beside you and then tell me, what do you observe? What do you see? I'm going to ask the guys in the, to help me with the first one.
doing? So you left me no pizza. Caleb, I just lit that candle. I like the way it smells. Well, I don't. Did you leave me any dinner at all? I assumed you were eating with Michael. Does it not occur to you that there are two people living in this house and both of them need to eat? You know what, Caleb? If you would communicate with me, maybe I could have something for you. Not finished yet. Remember now, you're going to tell me what you, not yet, you're going to tell me what you saw, what you observed. about it. Good car wrecks at 2 a.m. for myself or pull a child's body out of a lake for myself. You have no idea what I go through. Oh yeah, but what do you do around here other than watch TV and waste time on the internet? You know what? If looking at that trash is how you get fulfilled, that's fine, but I will not compete with it. Well, I sure don't get it from you. And you won't, because you care more about saving for your stupid boat and pleasing yourself than you ever did about me. Shut up! I'm sick of you! You disrespectful, ungrateful, selfish woman! I'm not how selfish. dare you say that to me! You constantly nag me and you drain the life out of me! I'm tired of it! If you can't give me the respect I deserve, look at me! Then what's the point of this marriage? I want out. I just want out. If you want out, that's fine with me! What did you observe? First, turn to the person closest to you and tell them. Turn to whoever is closest to you or close. What did you observe? You have to get close to somebody. What did you observe? What did you see? Could you help me now? Tell me some of the things that you saw and observed. Just raise your hand so Derek and, um, and Brianna. Just quickly. Yes, quickly. No long statements now. What did you see? What did you observe? Lack of, anger and lack of respect. Lack of respect. Oh. Anger. Anger. And, and rage. And rage. Communication breakdown. Communication breakdown. He is accustomed to being in charge at work. And she's indirectly challenging that. And also, she's actually highlighting what she wants. She's saying, if you communicate to me, then I would be able to right. give you what you're asking for. Very good. Up front. Yes? No love. No love. Up front now. Okay, there's a hand there. Brianna? 
technology gets in the way. Technology gets in the way. She's intimidated. She's intimidated. There's she a brother a up here, Brianna. Come up a bit for us, sir. We'll she needs attention and he's not yeah, yes. spending time doing his own thing and yeah. caught up in his own selfish ways. Yes. Selfishness and Se lack of intimacy. Lack of intimacy. There's one more hand at the front here, and then I'll take you. Oh, thank you. Lack of appreciation. Lack of appreciation. And the last one. Quick and poor decision as to where the lady was saying I won out just because of the shouting. All right. So there's a cancer that is eating away at family life. There's a cancer that is eating away at our marriages. Children, listen now. The first one, the first, the first word on which this sermon hangs, I'm going to share with you now. What is this cancer? Selfishness. What is the cancer? Selfishness. Sadly, we live in a world that is all about self. We see that with the importance of the selfie. The culture around us teaches us that our personal appearance, our feelings, our desires are the top priority. We don't like this trait in other people, but we will justify it in ourselves. I deserve this. I want this. I expect this. These are the words we use that betray our selfishness. Sadly, we are born selfish. There's sometimes you can say, even in babies, you can see this trait. But marriages expose selfishness. When a husband puts his interests, his desires, his priority ahead of his wife, he is flying the flag of his own selfishness. When a wife constantly complains about the time and her energy that she spends on the family, she's flying the flag of selfishness. Moodiness, complaining, are selfishness in disguise. Laziness and irresponsibility are also the mask that selfishness wears. Boasting and bragging, being, 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 being even generous sometimes for the wrong motives can be selfish. Some people right now, as I'm, thinking, as I'm talking, you're thinking about your spouse instead of thinking about yourself. That's selfishness. So we all struggle with this first S, children, selfishness. What does selfishness look like? Please draw this for me. For those who are dating, here's what Sister White says. Adventist Home, chapter 10, page 70. She says, marriage is a sacred ordinance and should never be entered upon in a spirit of selfishness. She says those who, are, those who contemplate this step should solemnly and prayerfully consider the importance and seek divine counsel that they may know whether they are pursuing a course in harmony with the will of God. She said don't go with a spirit of selfishness. It is a cancer. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 5 says, love does not seek its own. Love doesn't seek its own. It finds satisfaction in the welfare of others. So what then is the solution? What then is the antidote to selfishness? What then must we look forward to? And I want to say to you today, what can we use to get rid of this cancer that is suffocating and destroying our marriages and our family lives? Well, nestled in the heart of the New Testament is a real gem, a real precious truth, a real principle that I think if understood, if applied in our relationships, will solve much of the ills that we face. It's a gem that if rightly applied, will bring back our marriages from the brink. 
will bring them back from the verge of implosion. It will bring the joy that was intended by God when he, in that first marriage, in that first wedding. If understood, this gem will cause husbands to love their wives, will cause the wounds that we have in our families to be healed. Wives would start caring for their husbands, and husbands would love their wives again. Even marriages who are okay and are all right, but have lost the spark, could find the spark again. What is this gem? This gem will allow children to respect and obey their parents, will allow couples who are seeking to get married to have a right frame of mind as they're going into marriage. Even in the church, if this gem is known and applied and understood, we will become a more loving, more patient, and more forgiving church. Even the society would be gentler, fairer, just, and more caring. And so what is this gem? Do you want to know it? Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14 and 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14 and 15. What is this gem that is the antidote to our selfishness? The Bible says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. For the love of Christ constraineth us. For the love of Christ constrains us. Oh, what a difference we would have in our family life if we allowed the love of Christ to constrain us. What a change we would see in our family life if we would allow the love of God to constrain us. What a different church we would have if the love of God constrains us. What's the solution to selfishness? To let the love of God constrain you. What's love got to do with it? Everything. Everything. You know, if you read this passage, and when you go home, read the whole thing. Paul says, people thought I was mad. What they didn't understand was that it was the love of God that was constraining me. Paul said they thought I was a madman because of how I behaved. Because of the love of God that constrained me. Whenever a life is under the influence of the love of God, you cannot live the same way. A life that is under the influence of the love of God will, will result in a change that people cannot understand, they cannot comprehend. Paul never saw Christ, neither Timothy, who he was probably referring to in this text, neither these Corinthians, they never saw Christ in the flesh, but he ne it never stopped him from giving us this beautiful benediction. The love of Christ constrains us. The love of God is independent of time and space, my friends. It is unturned by our own unworthiness. It is unrepelled by our non-responsiveness. It is not disgusted by our sinfulness. The love of God would leave all of heaven to come to earth to die for a sinner such as you and I. The most beautiful passage, one of my favorite passages, tells me every time of what this love really means. And I want to read a portion of it from this, my old Bible. It's Ephesians chapter 2. The Bible tells us, and verse 1 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, 
Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of darkness of this world. Verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherein he loved us, even when we're dead in our sins, the Bible says he has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are we saved. And then verse 6 says, we are raised up together and made to sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, that in ages to come he might show us the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us. Verse 8 says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and not of ourselves, it is a gift of God. Verse 12 says, that in times past we were without Christ, aliens, from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope in the world and without God. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are sometimes far away have been brought nigh to the blood of God. Then the Bible says, go over to the next, next part of this passage. The Bible says, chapter 3 and verse 15 and 16, it says, that verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith and that you also will be grounded in love that you may be able to comprehend with all the other saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height of his love. My brothers and sisters, the love of Christ is what made Jesus our, heaven, our Savior leave the throne of heaven and worship and adoration of angels, came down to earth to be spat on, to be beaten, to be rebuked, and to be nailed upon a cruel cross so that he could save you and I it is only when you understand how much God loves us, then you can understand how you then can love somebody else. So then when Paul says the love of Christ constrains me, what he's saying, because of what Jesus did for me, I can't do what even my flesh wants to do. The love is so powerful, it's so it, 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 it makes me who I am. The love is so strong. Even when I want to do bad to my wife or my husband, the love of Christ constrains me. Amen. It's only by understanding that great love that goes from, you say, what is the height of his love? From all the way up in heaven, all the way down to the pit to save me. The width of his love. How wide is God's love? How deep is his love? Do we understand the dimensions of God's love? This is what Paul says. If you understand it, then the love of Christ would constrain us. So what does it mean to constrain us? The Greek word means, it says, to compel us. As if it was almost saying, the love of Christ forces us to live this way. But it's not force. It's just so powerful a love that it makes you do the right. Oh, my brothers and sisters, the antidote to selfishness is the love of God. It is the love of God that has the power to constrain husbands who don't love their wives, wives who don't love their husbands, children who don't love their parents, parents who don't love their children. The love of Christ constrains us. But the text goes further to explain what then is really at the heart of this love of God. Finish the text. The Bible tells us. That since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died in our own life. The same verse, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. 
Did you get it? Did you get it? Children, the second S. The first one was selfishness. What is the second one? That you no longer live for yourself. That's self-denial. That you will not now live for yourself anymore. You live for Christ. And it is by living for Christ, you actually are saving your family, you're saving your marriage. That Jesus would replace our selfishness and he would give us this thing called self-denial is this antidote that saves our lives. So the Bible says, what is antidote? Let's look at Ellen White says. What is self-denial? Ellen White says in Adventist Home, chapter 16, page 108, little attentions count. She says, God tests and proves us by the common occurrences of life. It is the little things that reveal the chapters of the heart. It is the little attentions, the numerous small incidents, and the simple courtesies of life that make up the sum of one's of life's happiness. It is in the neglect of these simple, encouraging, and affectionate words and little courtesies of life which compose the sum of wretchedness. It will be found at last that the denial of self for the good and happiness of those around us constitute a large share of the record in heaven. What will be the record in heaven? The extent to which you deny yourself your happiness for the good of your spouse, for the good of your family. My brothers and my sisters, the Bible says, if any man will come after me, let him do what? Deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So what is self-denial? Self-denial is giving up what you think will make you happy in the interest of for your, for your spouse. It's saying, I, will, I prefer that you are happy more than myself. I found a beautiful illustration of what self-denial is. It's a story of a man who, on his way home from his job, has his last set of pennies, and he, bought, he buys a, a bit of bread. But as he's going home, he's very hungry. And this bit of bread, he's, as he goes, he passes a home where there's a little boy hand, stretched out hand, and he's begging him. He's hungry. He needs something to eat. And he goes beyond that, and he goes into the boy's home. And he realizes not just the boy who is hungry, he has a mother who is sick. And the mother has several children, and they're all starving. So now he has a decision to make. I have this bread, but if I give this bread, I'm going to go hungry because I don't have any more money to buy any bread, and I must go to bed without supper. What does he do? He, in the act of self-denial, gives the bread instantly so that the family will take his measly piece of bread and be satisfied from their starvation. He goes home and sleeps in his bed hungry, but that is self-denial. My brothers and my sisters, Christ wants us to live in such a way that you put your spouse ahead of yourselves. Can I play the second clip? Because we can't understand this unless we understand the love of God. Let's play the second clip. The same family, the same young man now. Caleb, you saw him in the first scene. Now you will see him again. Something is different now. He's struggling. Let us see what is happening in this poor family. Caleb. If I were to ask you why you're so frustrated with Catherine, what would you say? She's stubborn. She makes everything difficult for me. She's ungrateful. She's constantly griping about something. Has she thanked you for anything you've done the last 20 days? No! 
And you'd think after I washed the car, I changed the oil, do the dishes, clean the house, that she would try to show me a little bit of gratitude. But she doesn't. In fact, when I come home, she makes me feel like I'm, like I'm an enemy. I'm not even welcome in my own home, Dad. That is what really ticks me off. Dad, for the last three weeks, I have been over backwards for her. I have tried to demonstrate that I still care about this relationship. I bought her flowers, which she threw away. I have taken her insults and her sarcasm, but last night was it. I made dinner for her. I did everything I could to demonstrate that I care about her, to show value for her, and she spat in my face. She does not deserve this, Dad. I am not doing it anymore. How am I supposed to show love to somebody over and over and over who constantly rejects me? That's a good question. Dad, that is not what I'm doing. Isn't it? No. Dad, that is not what this is about. Son, you just asked me. How can someone show love over and over again when they're constantly rejected? Caleb, the answer is... You can't love her because you can't give her what you don't have. I couldn't truly love your mother until I understood what love really was. It's not because I get some reward out of it. I've now made a decision to love your mother whether she deserves it or not. Son, God loves you even though you don't deserve it. Even though you've rejected him spat in his face. God sent Jesus to die on the cross and take the punishment for your sin because he loves you. The cross was offensive to me until I came to it. But when I did, Jesus Christ changed my life. That's when I truly began to love your mom. Son, I can't settle this for you. This is between you and the Lord. But I love you too much not to tell you the truth. Can't you see that you need Him? Can't you see that you need His forgiveness? It's the love of Christ that constrains us. Our ability to love a person, our husband or our wife, and to enjoy the love that they have is dependent upon our experience of God's love. The reason becomes apparent when we consider the type of love that God has for us. When I ask people, what do you want in a marriage? When I ask young people who want to get married, what do you want in a spouse? What do they say? I want somebody who is always taking care of me, somebody who will love me all the time, somebody who will, you know, you know, treat me as how I want to be treated, somebody who will love me pure and simple. You know, the Bible says love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous or boastful. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of wrong. You read it. It does not rejoice in injustice. It rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up. 
Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It's always enduring. It's through every circumstances. That is love. And so some marriage advice now. For love to last, it must be unselfish, brothers and sisters. But today, self comes first. When you see spouses who are on the rocks, one of the things that they often say to you, don't I have a right to be happy too? It's not surprising then that in, in all the, the marriages that are going up across, this selfishness is there eating away. But the Bible says in Philippians 2 and verse 3, agree with one another, love each other, put yourself aside and help the other get ahead. It is in this putting yourself aside and putting the other first, Forgetting yourself is where the victory is won. A good marriage is built on mutual sacrifice. Adam had to give up something precious to him, a rib from his side. And your wife, gentlemen, will need something special from you as well. Too many men want to be married but remain single. They don't want to sacrifice any time, any attention, any money, any resources. They don't, they don't want a wife, they want a maid. They want to marry somebody who, you know, will take care of them. No, the Bible has the opposite. The Bible says you are heirs together, you are, you are partners together. Her opinion matters, her thoughts matter, her perspectives matter. If you don't consider her thoughts and emotions and feelings, your holy wedlock will become unholy deadlock. Your wife needs to see you respond and to cherish her, for her to feel valued and appreciated. But you say, husband, my wife is cold. How did she get that way? Ice only stays icy in a cold environment. So instead of complaining, work to change your environment. Husbands, you are the thermostat in your families. Wives, you are the thermometers. Husbands, you determine the climate, and the wife determines how well the family feels. There is a reason your wife is cold, husband. Your solution, therefore, is warmer up and watch her melt. When you begin to love, nurture, and cherish her, you will see a new woman in your arms. Try it and see. Wives. Paul says wives must respect their husbands. Pay close attention, the Bible says, must. This is a command. Why? It is not a suggestion. It is not open for debate. Women, must respect their husbands. The Bible didn't say you must love your husband. It says you must what? Respect them. Guys, before you start getting swell-headed and say, yes, I told you so. To respect your husband is to hold him into high esteem. What a woman needs from a man is located in her heart. But what a man needs from a woman is, is from his head. A man needs to feel his ego massaged. You must make him feel big. If you don't do it, another person outside is going to do it. A man needs respect. If he doesn't get the respect, he's going to get it from somewhere else. The Bible says the wife must respect the husband, Ephesians 5.33. You see, God has given us two very simple rules for saving our families. The, the first, the husband must love the wife, but the wife must respect the husband. And the two together will help you to overcome the challenges in our marriage. So this is hard work. Sometimes you may think it's not easy. But Paul says... If you put yourself aside daily, you can make it. Amen. Yes, you can, my brothers and sisters. You can make it. You know, for those who are dating, the question you need to ask yourself is, am I willing to put this person's need above my own? Yes. 
When you're dating and you, you, you all feel with the wonderful feelings of love and the butterflies flowing all over the dating period, the question you need to ask yourself is, am I willing to put this person's everything, their feelings above mine in every circumstance? That's the question. Even when it's inconvenient to you, am I willing to put this person first, even when I don't feel that I have, the, I want to sleep now and she wants tea? I want to, I'm tired now, but she asked you to go get something in the kitchen. Think. Now, brothers and sisters, the essence of marriage is a covenant. That is why the marriage vows are not really a declaration of how you feel. It's about what you intend to do. So the Bible says, and in the, the, marriage, in the marriage vows, they always say, I, put your name, take you, to be my wife or husband, to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish from this day forward until death do us. So what's love got to do with it? If you want a lasting, strong marriage, you need God's love in your heart first. Until and unless Christ's love constrains you, it will be the most difficult thing to sustain your marriage. And the cancer that keeps eating away at your family will keep on eating selfishness. Let the love of Christ constrain you, my brother and sister. Let the love of Christ constrain you. Now the last scene. This young man, you saw him in the second scene. He he, he comes face to face with the cross of Jesus Christ. And what God had done for him, he needed God's forgiveness. And it's only then that he now understands what love is. Let's see how this story ends. The third and final scene. Why are you doing this? I have learned you never leave your partner especially in a fire. Caleb, what's happened to you? Dad asked me if there was anything in me that wanted to save our marriage. And then he gave me something. Um, I, I could let you read it. Was it this? How long have you known? I found it yesterday. So what day are you on? Forty-three. Uh, There's only forty. Who says I have to stop? You didn't want to do this at first, did you? No. But halfway through, I realized that I did not understand what love was. And once I understood that, I wanted to do it. Caleb, I want to believe that this is real. But I am not ready to say that I trust you again. 
I understand that. But whether you ever reach that point or not, I need you to understand something. I am sorry. I have been so selfish. For the past seven years, I have trampled on you with my words and with my actions. I have loved other things when I should have loved you. Not finished yet. <laughs> Always happens, huh? Why are you doing this? How long have you known? I need you to understand something. I did stay. Sorry. I have been so selfish. For the past seven years, I have trampled on you with my words and with my actions. I have loved other things when I should have loved you. In the last few weeks, God has given me a love for you that I have never had before. And I have asked him to forgive me. And I am hoping, I am praying that somehow you would be able to forgive me too. So in short, when the love of Christ constrains you, self-denial takes over. And self-denial means the death of selfishness. Self-denial and selfishness cannot exist in the same mind at the same time. They're exact opposites. So if the cancer is eating away at your family life today, if it's suffocating your marriage, Jesus offers his love to you. Amen. If you're struggling to go through, or you're not sure where to turn, look to Jesus Christ. Amen. And let his love reign in your heart. Amen. The Bible is true, my friend. The love of Christ constrains us. May God bless you. Amen. Oh, Heavenly Father, 
If we could only have the love which you demonstrated to us in our own hearts and minds, what a different family life experience we would have. If we could only have your love which constrains us in husbands and wives, what a different marriage life we would have. And today, today my prayer is a simple one, Lord. Take away the selfishness from our hearts and place within our hearts and minds the attitude that self-denial, that always seeks to put the other first and myself second, that always seeks to live for you even in my home or while at play. Oh, Father in heaven, take the selfishness away. Even little children as they grow up, help them to learn to share and to give and to be concerned for the welfare of others more than themselves. Help us to teach them how, Lord. For those who are in the mid-years and teen years and it's all about the selfie, it's all about my look and feel and my appearance, help them to realize that it's more also about caring and loving for others rather than myself. Oh, Father in heaven, help us take the selfishness away. For those who are seeking to get married and are, are dating and, and going out and, and having a good time with their friends, trying to find a life partner, help them to understand that it is, if your love is not in their hearts, it's going to be a very difficult job to find someone to love because they still don't know what love is. And if perhaps we are married and still in the marriage and it's still on the rocks now, Lord, I pray that you will even now let the fountain of love that comes from your throne swell up into our hearts and minds so we can truly understand that God is love. And that Jesus loves us more than we can ever know. And then help us and teach us how to love our spouse. Forgive us, Heavenly Father, for being selfish in the past. Forgive us for being self-centered and self-righteous. But help us now, Lord, to put within our hearts a spirit of self-denial. That as we walk outside of these doors, we can begin to make a change happen in our families, Lord. That as we go out, we will let the devil be ashamed because he wants us to be selfish, but you have put self-denial in our hearts. Let him be ashamed, Heavenly Father. Bind him up. Bind up the spirit of selfishness that is hovering around our homes. Bind up the devil and his selfishness. And let Jesus and his love reign free. Let love be free in our homes from the morning and the rising of the sun till the going down of the same. Let love be free. Let the love of God be free in our hearts. So husbands will love their wives and wives will respect their husbands and children will obey and love their parents. Oh, Father in heaven, we pray that the love of Christ will constrain us. Let this be our motto. Let this be our principle. Let this be our guiding gem. That the love of Christ will constrain us. This is my prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen. And for those who are traveling out tomorrow, myself included, to very large, far distances, I pray that your holy angels and your Holy Spirit will go with us, Sister Walford and our other sisters. May you go with them and bring them back safe to us. In Jesus' name I pray.